if all your inner monologues and fears and aspirations and borderline euphoria were sort of like a sculpture made of light or a hologram floating above your head for uh, for everyone to see, what do you think that that would look like? Uh, it would be pretty symmetrical uh, with some biomorphic qualities of curvature just to ease the hard lines. Are you ready for another episode of Against Type that questions and parodies the power of narrative and its ability to distort logic? Let me tell you, this is not it. This is the wrong episode for you, because this is an interview. It's a straight interview, which is not something we normally have on the show. But sometimes having a podcast is pretty difficult, and... Sometimes we need to have an interview to take up space. But more importantly, now that I'm an overnight podcast star, I've got all this social capital I can apply and make people talk to me who never would have otherwise. This may not actually be one of those cases, but regardless, if you're into what we normally do, don't worry, it'll be back soon. If you want to listen to a couple weird dudes talking about the nature of independent film, life, and the interstitial areas between, etc., stay tuned for about 25 minutes and you will not be disappointed. By the way, don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Thanks a lot. Mark Borchardt is a filmmaker, author, and actor. He's played himself on Family Guy, but that's probably the least interesting thing about him. He's an independent film icon, especially in Milwaukee, where he lives. His directorial filmography is sparse. Coven, which was released in 1997, is his only release, but it sounds like there's a lot on the horizon. I'll let him tell you about that in a minute. He has no love for acting. I have no interest in being on camera in any way, shape, or form. But that hasn't stopped him from appearing in a host of films throughout the last two decades. Mark is a tremendously nice guy. He also exhibits a seriousness when talking about art, especially his own, that's very powerful. There were times in the interview when he seemed almost purposefully contrary. Of course, that could be because I was putting presumptuous frames around already weird questions. I wanted to interview Mark because I think listening to him talk is edifying and honestly, it's just fun. His speech has an addictive cadence to me. I found myself thinking in his voice for hours after our interview. In my attempt to draw out some seldom explored facets of Mark, I found a spirit that was mostly generous, sometimes a bit curmudgeonly. As you'll hear, no one could accuse Mark of living an unexamined life. His ready answers for absurdly abstract questions imply he's thought about all this before, whatever this happens to be at the time. At times during the interview, it's obvious that I wasn't entirely prepared for that. I suppose that's the risk of talking to people who go against type. What's interesting about this is that I'm a private person and words obviously get used so much that they lose their meaning because then everybody says, well, I'm a private person too, but it's technically not the case because they're not. So I don't usually speak about my projects because, you know, what would be the value in that? But there's a give and take in life. You know, there's a time to be reticent and then there's a time to be forward. So I have written another feature-length script, which is Acid Killer Chicks, and that's a thriller. And I'm also doing a film called Constellations. With Acid Killer Chicks and Constellations, they represent different ideologies of going forth in life. Acid Killer Chicks is 
takes place in the early 70s out in Los Angeles about uh, kind of like a gang of murderous girls. And it had a deeper, more resonant theme to it that I may get get back to or not. And it's about when there's a line that's been crossed in life and you, you're this individual, you know, can't get back and fall in, in with these people and the dealing of the situation where you can't go back. And that metaphor is, is or the, that's, that idea is enabled by the metaphor of, of this um, murderous gang of chicks. Now with Constellations, that's more of, um, of an interior film about the interaction with life, with people, the cost of ambition, the the uh, the daily holy war of of art, you know, versus life in, in real concrete terms. Mark's filmic sensibilities seem to be pretty divided between sort of a raw punk rock art house aesthetic and what I went on to term in the interview a high minded intellectual highbrow art house aesthetic. Past me is apparently very intent on the idea that all films belong in an art house at some point. Yeah, there's a great truth to that because when you speak about lowbrow, that uh, means a lack of sophistication, uh, ready accessibility to an audience. Um, and then when you speak about more formal instincts, these are far more premeditative forms of narrative, you know, a more serious film and so on and so forth. I've always been a social person and I've also been a very interior person to a greater degree than, than most people. They kind of have this equilibrium that they find um, reasonable comfort with. And I have far more of a um, polemic going yeah. on in, in these two versions of film theory feed both uh, polarities of that polemic where you make something that's very accessible and you make something else that requires uh, some intimate curiosity and thinking. I mean, I think anybody's soul probably wants to sit around the fire and drink with their buddies. And then also you might be fascinated with the history of epistemology. And that's not a contradiction. That's just being a person that's got a couple different dimensions, right? So. Absolutely. I've just seen you talking about this before. It seems like you have a very formal sort of aesthetic appreciation for film. Uh, is there a film that you love from the standpoint of its visual vocabulary, its presentation or formal style, but that you don't think has any real substance and you don't care? Oh, that's that's interesting. Uh, that's interesting because you're talking about have, it having a great visual vocabulary yet lacking substance. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm prepared to deal with uh, that contradiction at this point. Is there a film that you love for its content, but you wish somebody would just make it again and make it better? Well, that's almost with any work of art, because as humans, we're very idiosyncratic. We have our own set of singular experiences, and we look to these art forms to find some sort of connection to our instincts and experiences and because it's these artworks are done by another created by another individual they'll never fully align with our own expectations uh but there are films that are very pretty complete in my perspective and others that are not i don't i understand what you're saying but there's only yeah. a limited amount of time in life and a limited amount of circumstances to deal with 
Do you feel like uh, when people crit- critique film a lot, they end up talking about things working or not working or dissecting it rather than just kind of taking it on its own terms? I mean, do you find that to be an irritation or do you think that's a valid way of criticism? Well, with criticism, it's interesting because there's a secondary narrative and actually that secondary narrative is the most prominent and that's the critic's viewpoint. They're bringing us there. The the story or the, the film is actually just a catalyst for their own kind of um, musings. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so when you, when you, Criticism is actually is like is like film theory that it's what's interesting about that is is that they see things outside of the filmmaker's sight that they're looking at the potential psychological signposts of a film that the filmmaker themselves weren't even aware of. Now sometimes this can be fascinating and wow what a revelation or it can be completely absurd. I know on the absurd end of the spectrum is when somebody had um, painstakingly deciphered the meaning in the license plate numbers of the, in the Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> film North by Northwest, yeah. and they said, "Well, hey man, this license plate is the plate we use because we can. We knew the guy. We we cleared it, you know. Yeah. So that shows the absurdity of some of those dense introspections, which come out to be absolutely ludicrous and meaningless. But on, but." Other uh, criticism works as a, just a fascinating exploration of the, the depths of thinking and the depths of analysis. And what it does in reading this criticism is make you more alert to life, more alert to people, more understanding of people, more understanding of circumstance. And when you have greater understanding, it's of greater benefit to your overall well-being. So intellectually, there is a, there is a good reason for criticism, Yeah, film criticism, definitely. Well, it seems like you, uh, everything that you're saying seems very rooted in a sort of your, your lifestyle and your art have a, a pretty serious bleed over. Uh, is that, is that a fair characterization? Bleed over, well, bleed over from where to where? Well, well, as in, you know, a lot of people I think can make art of some sort and I can use that term pretty loosely even, but, um, they make art and it's just sort of in a compartment and that's that's done. But it seems to me like the reasons that sounds like you value filmmaking and, and criticism in general is not just for its own sake, but as a sort of key to understanding your plight and experience as a person. You know, ah. I get, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Oh, no, no, no. That, that answers that because when you say bleed over, what? Yeah, that's, that's what I was getting at. What exactly are you indicating? And what it is is absolutely I would have no interest in... Uh, quote-unquote movies, which is, to me, very different than film. Film, to me, is not only an art, but it is also, as with my writing, as with music, is a way of living. It is the language of life. It's not to drift off into some alternative world, but it's to use your self-potential, creative self-potential in a meaningful way it's it's like oxygen in a sense to me it's an intrinsic and it's a compelling ally in my minute to minute being it's it's a facile notion i think to categorize other people's lives as apart from yours because i think that anyone who creates that creativity is a an essential part of their day-to-day being you know and and so i i highly doubt that actually people compartmentalize their art into into a room that's more for factory line work you know when the day is done they 
right. get, pop open a beer and, and start watching television, you know, that is definitely the process in the act of compartmentalization. Uh, to me, when there's a giant media event sort of art project, like the film Avatar, which I've never seen actually, but uh, it's such a spectacle because it's basically a giant pile of money. And that's not to denigrate the plot or the production. I have no idea because, like I said, I haven't seen it. But uh, do, do ethical considerations about that kind of stuff ever come into play when you think about that? Like an artwork that costs so much money that it's just sort of it begs questions about other places the money could have been spent and it's also hard to see it as an individual endeavor when it's obviously such a a giant product made for consumption's sake uh do you think that's cynical that's definitely cynical i mean you're touching upon many uh points you know you're obviously obviously categorically dismissing the tour theory certainly because this is a a film such as that is was is a work of hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people, because you have publicity, you have all of the staff and so on and so forth that it no, there there's no no no. Could the money money it being paid to hundreds of people and those hundreds of people are using that money to uh feed their families, pay taxes, pay for defense through those taxes. So when I see huge films with hundreds of millions of dollars of but with the budget of several million, hundred million dollars, it's not like that. Two hundred million bucks goes into a black hole. It goes back into the the economy. <laughs> it yeah. reinforces fiscally thousands of people's lives, and you know it's a kind of a uh, art slash product. So I mean, I, I mean, I don't think of. I just when I see hear about all those big budgets, I just say that's really really good because. All of that money, all it does is, is serve to keep our economy healthy. So I'm all for all of that big budget stuff. It just, you know, keeps the country healthy. At this point, Mark and I talked about the economy for a little while, but it was boring, so I cut it. I said I was playing devil's advocate about the Avatar question, which is true, but probably came off as being weird. Then I explained that I thought that CGI was ruining everything and that I love practical effects, and I was mildly interested in seeing the Mad Max movie. I asked him if he was mildly interested in it. Oh yeah, no, it's not something that matters to me in any way, shape, or form because I it doesn't that type of uh, movie I should say doesn't it doesn't even cross my mind. I mean, it's not the world I inhabit. It's not something I, I think twice about. If if I would ever see films like that, it would be as an anthropological study, as a study in form and not in content. Uh, I, I mean, I just I would just see it as is like going to the zoo and say, wow, you know, you. You look around for a few hours and you go back home to your life. So you sound a lot more like a sort of literary explorer than a, than a consumer of media to me. You're quite a reader, is my impression? Yeah, I'm, I, basically, I, I find a lot of value in the modernist authors such as James Dickey and John Cheever and John Updike and, and you know, Joan Didion and uh, so on and so forth. But also then uh, from more from the uh, Victorian era with the... Uh, Arthur Conan Doyle and Robert Louis Stevenson, and also in the uh, well, romantic Victorian area like Joseph Conrad, and it's not just really Henry James and all of that. So, okay, you're all over the shop. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm as, as I speak, I'm looking. I have uh, thousands of books. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. The authors Mark identified seem to share to me a sort of essential mystery and not in a literal sense necessarily, but in a spiritual texture sense. There's something ineffable or unknowable about a lot of the things that these very erudite 
authors write about? I posited this to Mark. Oh, well, of course. Um, because and it's funny that you say mystery. I, I'm, I don't care about dramatic mystery. I care right, not more like about a thriller. The, yeah. the mystery. Well, wait a second. I care more about the mystery of life and that can be embodied by like on a soft summer evening as the, uh, trees turn to silhouettes and the immense swath of foliage, you know, dances, you know, nobly in a continuous breeze, a continuous twilight breeze, you know, that to me is mystery and all the houses and lives that uh, live, that exist beyond this foliage at the horizon and beyond the horizon. That to me is the mystery. So that's how I see life. I wondered if it was this mysterious element of horror that had drawn him to the genre to begin with. His first film, Coven, is unabashedly a horror film. I began to ask him why he gravitated toward horror. I mean, obviously you've gravitated toward horror and that sort of thing. Uh, but oh, no, 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 not, not, not in the least. That turned out to be sort of a misstep. That, again, that's accessibility and imagination with... Uh, films like um, they're they're less sophisticated films. If you the ideas are far more facile with that, and they're they're you know readily readily adaptable to many situations. Where if you do a kitchen sink drama, that's a far more of a textured form where the means of filmic communication are far more sophisticated. You know, and uh, so yeah, no, I. You know, I, I think what attracted me to horror was seeing actual real people on screen, Night of Living Dead, real clothing on screen, real locations on screen, real environments on screen instead of a back lot and clothes coming off the rack and picture perfect people, you know, and there's with those Hollywood films, there is that uh, very thick patina of artificiality that uh, low-budget horror films couldn't even dream of embodying. It sounds to me like you're very um, everything from the sort of sort of naturalistic beauty of watching willows sway, like I am right this very moment out the window, mm -hmm. or uh, you know gray skies and rust. All these kind of things they seem to have a real sort of emotional hold on you that almost it's it's like it dictates uh, how. You, how you're feeling viscerally first and then this, you sort of follow your intellect kind of trails behind that. It, at least that's, that's kind of how I feel. Uh, but that's, it, that sounds it, like your style. It, okay. it actually, I think it's the reverse. I think it's the intellect at the forefront and then the visual appreciation follows it. I think that the thinking comes first and we'll, but we'll go back to something like, uh, you know, like this kind of like historic atmosphere of rust and that when, and that means that a car has lived many lives with many occupants and has a history and has been here, there, started somewhere, ended here. When you look at anything like that, you, you do feel the burden and the joy of history at the same time. As an actor, and I, I know that, if correct me if I'm wrong, please, but uh, your interest is much more in, in individual expression as a filmmaker and a writer than being an actor, right? Uh, yeah, I can succinctly answer that. I only act for the money. If you see me on screen, it's for the money. I have no, uh, I have no interest in being on camera in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but if you see me on screen, it's for the money. 
Well, at least know you're getting paid. So that's that's a good yeah. thing. Um, is there a role that would be nuanced and understated enough for you to think is interesting or that might ever perk up your ears? Uh, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm already doing it in my own film. If I uh, appear in Constellations as the uh, the director espousing his philosophy, that's it. You know, okay. so it, it's me who's going to provide that role. Everything else is, like I said, is for to create an economy for myself. So that role that you're speaking of, that I'll t- that I'm taking care of in my own film. So when we do, when I do a film. You know, and and people would ask about the acting part of it. I don't. That's means zero to me. I think about what bookstore did I visit. Uh, you know, what experiences did I have, and you know, keep it all down in the journal and so on and so forth. So to me, talking about acting is is, is just I'm completely apathetic to. There's you know, if if you can squeeze out a discussion out of it, that's great. But I can remember, I believe, going to Cummins bookstores and getting a literary outlaw by Ted Morgan on William Burroughs. And, and I can specifically remember that event, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I'm just curious. I'm i uh, I'm a writer, not an actor. So I, it's not like I don't understand. Uh, I was just curious because most people don't do some mercenary acting on the side to uh, fund their writing. So that's, it's kind of like being a contract plumber. Obviously, maybe it's not your passion, but in this case, it obviously does overlap with your actual passions so much. I mean, you need to... Well, well, yeah, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, I no, have go, to say, though, no, I actually fund my writing by writing. I'm a freelance writer. Writing is my passion, which I also get paid to do, and which also, so I'm not only professionally writing, and I'm also writing my own projects as well so i mean it's a whole kind of like uh you know like as you say as one would say a series of constellations out there so it sounds like you've got a pretty militant discipline going uh i'm sure that you falter like anybody does but you have any tips for the casual listener who wants to actually get things done or the casual host who wants to get things done it's amazing that you bring that up about discipline because everyone possesses a different psychology and you know, when there's manic depressive, there's depressive, and there's people that are, are psychologically pretty healthy and so on and so forth. So to make these great attributions about what to do and so on and so forth, it applies differently. But, uh, I mean, just idiosyncratically on my end of things, it's amazing that we use that word because I have to literally study and think about self-discipline every day. Now, I'm good at saying no to the outside world, and I what I do is I examine the, some of the creative things that give me the most anxiety and fear, like writing in the journal or getting this article done at its due date, and I confront that stuff, and I critically think out the day and knowing that it'll be far, far from perfect, but the enthusiasm of being able to really get your hands dirty in life and to accomplish these things. So for anyone seeking self-discipline, there has to be a greater reason of why you would be even interested in doing it. And if you can find true meaning and end result belief in all of that, you'll be good to go. But if you're perpetually floundering in a tapestry of triviality man god help you <laughs> yeah luckily i don't think i'm quite there but i know you mean rhetorically but uh that's that's well said do you ever find yourself on the on the precipice of fear and unable to take the leap for any number of reasons and then just 
you may manage to do it anyway the next day? Every, every day, every day, every day, because I had my own particular formative experiences, particular things to deal with. I deal with fear, anxiety on a daily basis. I also deal with triumph and uh, joy, but I don't let it hit euphoria because that's manic. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and also, you know, any depressive modes and so forth are, uh, are fought, you know. And so what it is is this kind of like healthy kind of uh, engagement, this war battle sometimes. And that doesn't necessarily mean negative. But it's a strengthening each and every day of not only the process, but a honoring of the potential end result. So it's like when you when you're looking at a person, you don't know what's going on in their psychology, their soul. You know, everything's going good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like the furthest from it. They're they're in a holy war on a daily basis from the from a you know, these these particular all of these particular lands that they're that they're out there dealing with. I'll ask you an abstract expressionist kind of question. Yes, Mr. Pollock, Mr. Klein. <laughs> if you, uh, if all your inner monologues and fears and aspirations and borderline euphoria were sort of like a sculpture made of light or a hologram floating above your head for uh, for everyone to see, what do you think that that would look like? Uh, it would be pretty symmetrical uh, with some biomorphic qualities of curvature just to ease the hard lines i really really appreciate you talking to me and it's been uh it's been a good time i feel like i could probably sit down and talk to you for hours about film and uh it's really really good to hear your voice in real time greg it's been an honor to be on your show and i thank you and it's been it's actually been a privilege um to share this time because it's a time of meaningful and intelligent exchange and it gives validity to one's being and it gives uh enthusiasm continued enthusiasm for the day so i really appreciate it it works well at both ends greg on the next episode of against type if you read, I think it's fair to say, when you read the New Testament, that the Pharisees, um, the, the leaders of the, uh, you know, Hebrew religious, you know, community, um, at very points were effectively trying to accuse Jesus of sorcery. So, do do other Christians hate you guys? Because, <laughs> you know, I, I think... I, <laughs>